0: The Orchard started in 1997, and, um, you know, I I had been in the business for a while then. My partner Scott Cohn and I started together, and we just uh, had an independent record label, saw how things were going in the early days of the Internet, AOL, and uh, well before broadband, we started distributing records as The Orchard through the new online stores, and then anticipated uh, the coming of digital, which didn't really take hold until iTunes six years after we started the orchard, and by then we had about 150,000 tracks. And now we're uh, we just kept growing and growing uh, uh, service labels, and have now have well over 10 million. And were recently uh, two years ago acquired uh, by Sony, mm-hmm. so now it's a Sony company, and we um, continue to operate as an independent with complete freedom, you know, under the Sony umbrella. So they're uh, wonderful people to work with. And at the same time, we work with our independent labels in the same way that we always did.
1: So the the company was in sort of a holding pattern in the early days, trying to figure out what the landscape was going to look like?
0: No, we, we knew what the landscape was going to look like. It just had to catch up with our vision. We were acquiring digital rights from the beginning, yeah. because we anticipated it.
1: What was the nature of that? Was was the company hoping to get acquired? There were investors, and yeah.
0: investors, as you know, uh, are interested in making money for themselves. Um, no, the Sony, the Sony uh, acquisition, we actually were working with them because merged in one of their independent distribution companies, IOTA, and by virtue of that, they served on the board and had uh, an option, and they uh, exercised it
1: wisely. Is it possible to make money now as a music distribution company? I mean, there's... Sure. We, I'm told there's we, no money in streaming.
0: Well, it depends. If you have catalogs uh, as large as we do yeah. and as much content as we do, yes. You know, music business isn't any different than it ever was. Hmm. You had to be successful. You had to have hits, even in back in the days of singles. Yeah, You know, you had to have hits in order to make money. You had to be able to go out on the road and tour. So you had to be great at what you did, and you have to write great songs and make great music. It essentially isn't any different. What is different is the world has opened up so there's so many more people mm-hmm. doing it. So you you have this um, you have these expanded expectations. I do think you just have to do things well, like anything yeah. else to survive.
1: Things have fragmented, obviously. People aren't making money from singles the way they used to. I mean, certainly now that there are more avenues open, everything's a little more niche than it was before.
2: I think that's the plus side of the digital... Age is that you can now reach niches that you could not before. Mm-hmm. You're able to, to target a very specific audience in, in a way that you couldn't before. Yeah. So it's just apples and oranges is how I look at it. And music isn't just music. It's what the music you can attach it to, whether that's physical merchandise or experiences. Again, things you were incapable of giving your fans before all of this happened. So, you know, we love it and we just roll with it. And to us, it's inspiring to think of how we can service fans in a new way.
1: I know it's always been difficult being a musician. It's always been difficult to, to make a living doing it, but it does seem to be even even more so these days, you know, in terms of act- of artists actually making revenue off of that content. It's a lot harder. You know, when you do look at a streaming service and the, anim- the amount of money that individual artists make, you know, it's it's kind of pennies on the dollar.
2: Well, for streaming, yes. I mean, I think, you know, you can do so much yourself now that you could not several decades ago. Like, you can record your own music in your bedroom, and you can create your own website, and you can do so many things. But you still need, I think, to work with people in the business that understand how -hmm. you can leverage those pennies, because streaming is just a part of a much bigger picture. But every artist has a different combination of tools that they use. And again, that's the beauty of the age now, is that you, you know, I knew a band once that, had a person that pitched their music for syncs, and that was it. They didn't have a manager. They didn't have a label. They put everything out themselves. It was such an interesting combination. They wanted a booking agent and a sync person. So again, it's it's different for everybody, but I remember there was a wave of bands like Radiohead that you know they went independent, and they put their records out mm-hmm. themselves, but they were riding on the coattails of major labels, sure. marketing them for so long. And you then have a lot of times, a huge
1: band on Capitol Records, and it's in a order lot of work to too.
2: I mean, to put out yeah. a music as yourself as your own label, and then a lot of times they'll release their next record on another label after that. But again, it's about options, which I think is great.
1: I do talk to a lot of musicians, and and it does seem like the the concept of labels is going away as as we know it. I mean, are, are you there to sort of serve as a direct conduit with these bands? Do you work directly with them? Are labels still important the way they once were? Labels are
0: important, but not necessarily in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. When we say a label, it means forgetting the major labels, which, which definitely still have the greatest influence and control, the higher end of the industry, because mm-hmm. they have huge staffs, they have money, and the knowledge on how to take someone up to the next level and the next level. However, a label is important in a sense like, like say, ours, Instant, where we provide different benefits to artists that are willing to take advantage of it. I still produce. We have a studio at The Orchard. We can work with artists, give them a chance to be better than they could be on their own. Maybe someone comes along, that Mm -hmm. is the best they could be, and that's great. But we can contribute to that. We can give them the benefit of that sort of advice. Allison now has experience as a product manager and understands marketing and advertising and things to do in the digital world. So we at Instant can do that. And the other thing, when you were talking about musicians making money in the business... Like I said, you really have to be great and you have to do something special in order to really earn. But I remember when I came into the business a long time ago when I was like 20 years old or even I was was 16 when I wrote my first song. But the point was that the business was what it was right then. If I'm 16 or 18 years old coming into the business now, it's what it is. To bemoan the fate of the music industry is crazy. Okay, there's nothing to bemoan. It gets better every day. And if you're a young person coming into it, you know that the world has changed and you know that your world is different than your parents' world. And your expectations are not what they were in 1970 or whenever the industry fooled people into buying CDs of things they already owned on vinyl. Those are the big years of the yeah. music industry. But the point is, with instant records, we try to do interesting things, and the most interesting we're doing is the project. You, I, see, I'm I'm song oriented, and I also understand from a commercial sense, you have to bring people something that they want from an interesting perspective, and when Allison came to me and started talking to me about this uh, project, Instant Love. You know, I talked about it. I said, we'll get there, we'll get there. And one day, we just had time and said, okay, let's try one and see how it goes. And we tried something that was recorded from Allison's hometown, New Orleans. Well, that was the second one. The first one was another New Orleans friend of yours. And I saw what could be done with it and how you could reach people By doing something from a completely other perspective, Mm -hmm. taking a great song and allowing the singer to be the person that they are and deliver the message of the song in an emotional way without having to pretend to be something else. By that I mean we record songs that were traditionally sung by men now being sung by women without changing the gender. So the song itself becomes more than a cover song and comes to life in a completely new way. And we're finding that it's very interesting because we're starting to get a good deal of public attention from it. We're getting reactions that every day it begins to grow. And people understand that it's about the song and it's about the emotional commitment that people now have to it from a different perspective.
1: How important is it to have that hook, to have that narrative in terms of actually putting one of these things out there? I mean, it seems like you need some sort of overarching premise to really get people interested in the idea.
2: Well, for anything you do. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the artists that I love in my heart from you know a day ago to 10 years ago it was more than the music it was what they were selling you from their heart Mm -hmm. and their soul whether that's visual whether that's emotional so I think just a song isn't enough anymore especially in the digital age with Mm -hmm. the internet are you interesting on snapchat instagram youtube and then whatever musically whatever else is going to be out there in a year from now where maybe you didn't have to worry about that before but in the 90s if you couldn't cut it on mtv you were also dead in the water so I think I think being something in addition to the song is is what makes things stand out. It's a complete picture, and with what we're doing with Instant Love, it has its own challenges in that it's a different artist every time. So we're not selling an artist; we're selling a concept and and a, and a feeling, and just trying something that's never been done before. To me, music is so powerful. I mean, music is how souls communicate to each other and you know you know a song by heart you don't know the 50 state capitals by heart or at least I don't to look at music as to respect it and respect its power and say you know what can we do with this and to kind of approach it with this theme of well let's approach all these inner female relationships that just have been left out of music's narrative for the most part you know guy meets girl stories we've heard to death and second person you but to really hear a girl sing her and she we were like let's see what happens with really, I mean, we kind of started just with a few songs and mm-hmm. now we're about to put out our 12th or 13th and we have several more and it just sort of built on itself. When we started to hear these songs, we felt something new and and women felt something new, whether it was romance or, or something like a family member or a friend or memories you didn't know you had. I mean, that's what music's for. So I guess to answer your question, yes, I think An overarching theme and a mission statement behind music that you're putting out, whether you're an artist or a label, is super important. And for me, it was important to do something I thought would make a difference also.
1: The way things used to be distributed, you would be releasing singles or building up tracks for an eventual album. Are you thinking about that in terms of having a a larger idea here? Is it okay for them to just sort of exist on YouTube or SoundCloud?
0: They don't exist on YouTube or SoundCloud only. Mm -hmm. They exist prominently on Spotify, Mm -hmm. Apple Music, Deezer.
2: Every digital platform from SoundCloud and YouTube to Spotify to Apple Music and iTunes, Deezer, etc. They are proper digital download and streaming releases. And yes, we are working up to doing a collection. Well,
0: a lot of this comes around what was my premise of what I like to call a living album. Basically, what we've done with the help with Spotify and Apple Music, maybe not their willing help, but we've done it, is we've been able to release these bits of music, these songs, two songs a month. So every two weeks, a new one comes. Recorded in our studio, supervised, mixed, finished to perfection, the way I've always done music as a producer. It's a living album because as a collection, it grows every month via playlists. But you can't create an album and change it So if you put up an album on Spotify, for example, it exists, that's the album. The songs are there, everything's it. You can't then add a song and say, add it to my album. It's not. It's just a list. So this living album has grown to a point where there's now 12 or 14, and we will in January, say for Valentine's Day, the main release, a physical album of the entire collection will come out, and it will have lived as a living album, and will now be an album. Now, something like this, I believe, you might find people that really want the full collection Mm -hmm. and really want to buy it as an album. It's harder and harder for individual artists, unless they have enormous success with singles, to sell an album to somebody. People are more interested in tracks and in streaming. It's going back to the way it was it was when I first started making albums, and it goes back also to women. My first number one record when I was a kid was My Boyfriend's Back, which was a song by a girl group, The Angels. Mm-hmm. And it goes on from there. But point was that when the record company they were signed to asked for an album, you had to make an album mostly of songs that were already hits that other people sang because the concept was why would anybody want to buy an album of something they didn't know and so but we were songwriters so we wrote some of the songs mm-hmm. so what you have now is a throwback to that but it makes common sense you know we we existed as an industry for so long by making albums with one hit in it and then saying okay we could sell people the rest of this well that that doesn't fly unless you're really desperately in love with the artist. Mm -hmm. At that point, you want to hear everything they do. But for new artists, singles, 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 singles. More content that you put out as an artist gives you more chance to grow. And it doesn't matter if you don't spend months promoting it. Do the next one, do the next one. Just keep putting out music. You know, and that's how you build your audience today, unless you get that magic hit.
1: What's the value now in thinking of things in terms of albums?
2: Albums definitely still serve a purpose. And what I want to kind of touch on, what he said with his living album concept that we're able to execute on playlists, I think that's another really beautiful thing about the digital age is that if we would have just said, we want to make an album and we would have had to have recorded all the Mm -hmm. songs first, it would have been different. Whereas now we've literally been releasing since March and we're able to get a song out globally in a week if we have to. So literally the Living Album has been people hearing about the project, approaching us to participate in it. And that's been really cool that it's grown with artists wanting to contribute to it as it's already existed. And then we will take... Not all of them, but maybe the first 12, however many fit on a piece of vinyl, for Instant Love Volume 1. So for us, the album is special because it's a collection of all of these new points of view. I mean, when you hear an isolated track such as She's Got Away, which is a Billy Joel song, and Lolo Zuai, who's an up-and-coming artist saying that for us and it's amazing and you hear her saying she's got a smile and it's amazing but when you hear it 12 in a row it really starts to dig into your brain on why does this feel so exotic and but yet familiar all at the same time so for us the album is a collection of this mission that we're mm-hmm. out to kind of make people more comfortable singing female to female. Um, But I think for other artists, albums definitely serve a purpose, especially if you're on the road, because merch is huge. So from a merch standpoint, albums are great. But I think in the digital age, fans want to hear the songs they want to hear. And um, again, the mega fans, again, servicing a niche, your mega fans might want a special edition album. But the masses, it's much different than it used to be.
1: In a sense, you are kind of pushing against the idea of an album from the standpoint of that's how things are served up on Spotify. So you've kind of found a bit of a workaround to that.
2: Yeah, we've had to make it up as we've gone along. I mean, I remember when we had this idea we met with every team at the Orchard and we were like, how do we yeah. make an album in real time? And they were like, you can't. And so we were like, okay, well we got, you know, set up on Apple Music as a curator so we could have a playlist there. I mean, we did everything we could do from SoundCloud to YouTube to Deezer to Spotify just to promote the playlist. And every two weeks, yes, we promote the new song, but we're promoting the playlist each time. Um, but again, I think the album for us, it's service people who this means something to them. And and so we're excited about making kind of volume one, is what we're calling it, Instant Love Volume One.
0: The other thing that's great for us as a modern record label is that we've already identified three of the artists that we're going to continue with and put new singles out with separate from this. So they begin their recording careers with us. There's an opportunity to build them into something using this as a starting point. I think that's important. It becomes a, a discovery mechanism. And the most interesting thing is uh, not not being female myself. The most interesting. I don't want to say anything, but <laughs> I have uh, a good female side because I yeah. do truly identify and love women. And generally, as people, they're a lot smarter than men, uh, noted by our president. When we both, I participated in it as well as Allison when Allison talks to people and we suggest this to the artist that we select or we allow them to select a particular song mm-hmm. we have a criteria for the songs we find the overwhelming interest to want to do it not merely because they get paid a little bit or it might enhance their careers uh, both of those things are factors but mostly it's Wow, what a cool idea. I would love to sing that song. And then we say to them, and what does that mean to you? Why are you singing this? Why did you choose to sing this? And we will get a statement, you know, I thought about that song and it made me think of my sister. It made me think of my mother. It made me think of my girlfriend. It made me think of my wife. It made me think of my grandchild. It made me think of something that I can engage with that's a member of my circle, my world, that's of the same, quote, gender, if we still believe in gender, uh, the same gender as I am. I don't have to be somebody else in order to sing that song to them. I think that's significant. I think that means something. How much it means, we'll find out eventually. But we're going to keep growing this idea. And at Instant and at The Orchard... We'll keep cultivating innovative, interesting, creative ideas. And now we have a place where we can bring it from one level to mid-level to an upper level. We talk about expanding it to our parent company if they're interested. And if they're not, we can build it to a certain point ourselves.
1: What's interesting to me about this exercise and about breaking out from the full album model is I write about technology a lot in my day job. That is my day job. And we write about Kickstarter a lot. And what Kickstarter does that I think it took people time to figure out beyond just serving as a platform for people to make money is it's a way to really – to float ideas, to, you know, engage with their community and to evolve things as you go along. And it sounds like that's a big part of what this is. You floated a trial balloon, you got the feedback, and in a sense, you're also almost using it to audition people for your label
2: that was just a happy coincidence bringing in an artist to do one song it's so risk-free it's like oh we like this person's vibe bring him in and let's see what happens and then that song that person mixed with richard as a producer comes together so well and we're like what else you got and we never used to think in those terms and there's three girls off the top of my head from this collection that we are talking about more songs with and that is Really exciting for us.
0: The other part of it is that, yeah, we never anticipated it. The fact that an artist can come, participate in a project like this without any further commitment, Mm -hmm. frees them up to do something beyond, it just frees them. It's a a good feeling. Wow, I like to sing. That's a great song. Oh, you can make a great recording of that with me. And I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. Mm -hmm. However, I like you. If you want to come back and talk to us anytime, great. I realize business is business. You need contracts. You want long-term relationships. You want all of that. But the truth is, if you could build a relationship with somebody on a day-to-day basis and make them feel comfortable, there's always a chance of something more happening. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too.
2: They are starting with us from this beautiful place. Like, we're coming together to make music because we think this music's going to make a difference in various amounts of women's lives. And to throw back to Kickstarter, one of the artists on our collection is named Tristan, and she's from Nashville. And she had actually crowdfunded her most recent album. And as a thank you to, I guess, a certain tier of sponsors, she recorded five cover songs at their request. And um, when she, so she didn't release these publicly. And she sent them to me because I love Tristan. I've known her for a while, and I just was like, what are you up to? And she's like, oh, I just did these songs for my fans. And actually, one of those songs was Peaceful Easy Feeling that we've released. And so this was at least a year before we released it. And it was probably the first song that I heard that was sung talking about what a woman can do to your soul that's a line from the song from a woman, and I remember it gave me goosebumps. And that may have been like the seed to the project. And I remember about a year later, I gave her a call, and I was like, "Don't use the song for anything. We want it." And she was like, "God, it's been so long. I don't even remember." She, it was just a song a fan requested. And then she was on tour, went into her hotel room, listened to the song immediately, called me an hour later, being like, "Oh my God, that song is good. You can have it. Do whatever you want to do with it." And I'm like, "Yeah." When you really listen to the words, it it. Makes makes a big difference. So anyway, Kickstarter is an active part in a lot of artists. And it's great, again, that they have tools to to do that. And again, making a song so organically, not for commercial release, ended up being so beautiful. And it's something that we wanted.
1: I have to imagine the dynamic changes a little bit when you have a more established artist. I mean, obviously, when you're dealing with somebody who isn't signed, who most people haven't heard of, I mean, this is a great opportunity for them to come in and record and be distributed by you. But, you know, Irma Thomas, for example.
2: Well, that was my big coup because I'm from New Orleans. And uh, I remember when I had this idea in my head, I was, you know, my sister is a sounding board for me and she's got an Irma Thomas Jazz Fest poster in her daughter's bedroom and uh, when I was talking about the dream, you know, like, what would be the dream for this project? And we would always say Irma Thomas singing Crazy Love. That was just, like, the the moon example. And then, of course, she being a lovely person, we just reached out to her. And she did approach it from a different perspective because she is established. And she said to us, I'm a singer. It's what I do. I love to sing. I would love to sing this song for mm-hmm. you. My mother was someone I love more than anyone in my life, so I'm going to dedicate it to her, and I'm going to work it into my set. And that was the extent of it. And she did it in New Orleans with Eric Heigel, who engineered the most recent Arcade Fire album and I, you know, still have the voicemail saved to my phone when she called saying she wanted to do it. But, yeah, it, it is nice to have a range of artists, and now we're kind of dipping into a lot of Orchard artists. We have Holly Miranda coming up who's mm-hmm. on Danger Bird. That's an Orchard artist, and we are kind of approaching bigger and bigger as we go. But she was track number two. I mean, we, we got her in yeah, from the beginning because she knows Richard and wanted the opportunity to sing such a classic, beautiful song. So
0: That's interesting because you mentioned Orchard artists. Well, there's Holly Miranda, she's on Danger Bird, Nicole Atkins. We're moving the content level. And as it just continues to grow, I think we'll be able to attract major label artists. But it's almost more interesting this way with artists that have a bit of a following but are not top-level successful because it doesn't seem like a best of anything. Mm -hmm. It just seems like it's... Okay, you're doing this. It's happening. Sooner or later, one of these songs is just going to cross and uh, become a single commercial hit. I have no doubt of that. When that does, it pays dividends for the entire yeah. project and everybody else that's associated with it. It just seems that we do other things at Instant, and at The Orchard we have like other artists. and The the project's like a labor of love for the two of us. It's something we believe in that will grow and The message is great, but the best part is the music's really good. The people that's singing it are really good. Sooner or later, lots of people will recognize it.
2: With Richard having... I don't want to say how many decades of experience in the music business, but it's sort of Richard acting as a curator for all of this new independent talent. We have artists ranging from teenager, you know, up to 70-something with Irma. But, I mean, we've had a lot of artists that we've considered, and it just wasn't the right fit. So, really, with my 30-something perspective and his legacy perspective, we approach an artist and we kind of both have to feel it. I think that that, a lot of people who are fans of his work— Richard is sort of handpicking the female artists that that we think can do a good job of um, communicating this message. So it really is kind of a nice assortment of curation on on the label side of the artists we're picking for this. Some of them I loved personally, like Irma Thomas, for example, or Tristan, and, and other ones have come together through people that Richard knows. So it's really kind of been an interesting combination of people that we know and love, whether they're famous or not. I do
1: think it is really interesting from the perspective of exploring a new model. I mean, surely this is something that the company has been looking at. I mean, you were ahead of things early on, and you have to continue to be so. I wonder, as we talk about the kind of ever-shifting landscape of the music industry, are we at a a transitional point right now, or are we... Kind of at a point where things are just always going to continue to be transitional. Are we moving towards something a little more permanent or is this always going to be a moving target?
0: Don't get me started. I mean I never <laughs> I thought we were entering a world where everybody and I'm and 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 I'm not a communist. Where everybody would have be entitled to everything.
1: The Napster era?
0: Well, I don't mean music. I mean no. everything. There's no reason for people to be hungry. There's no reason for people to no. are not have shelter over their head. I mean, God, we could provide that stuff. But uh, I, I just see that as the world. Music, it's not that the, the Napster model, basically if the industry would have recognized the Napster model a little earlier, they would have started getting paid for it a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we were, we, I remember when Scott and I would go and talk at conferences in uh, the late 90s, I remember people throwing things when we said, nobody's going to buy your CDs, yeah. nobody's going to buy your stuff. It's going to be there. We dreamed about the jukebox in the sky. Well, SoundCloud, you know, uh, Spotify. You know, today, there was doing, a guy in the office was doing a sax solo for us, and he played the alto saxophone. And I said to him, well, you know, it needs to have a fuller sound. He said, well, that's a tenor. I said, yeah, but you're playing the alto. Did you ever hear of Earl Bostick? So he said, huh? you know, and he went for training and school. He didn't, never heard of him. I said, wait a minute. Guy was around the fifties, forties. I pull up Spotify. Bing 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 Earl Bostick played him Harlem Nocturne. Sounded, he listened to it and said, Oh my God, listen to that. You know? And isn't that something? I mean that that my God, all this amazing music that was made is available to people. How you earn from it, I understand. Is an issue, and it's an an issue for us because we're a business as well. But I say you got to do something successful. You have to do something interesting. Uh, You have to stand out. You know, you you have to earn it. The people people have a right to be paid, but if they want to be paid really well, you have to earn it. And by earning it means you have to do something that contributes beyond. You have to be great. And what you do, especially with music. You know, and I say the same thing for me. I take the royalty checks. It's great, but I do not expect anything from the ones that weren't hits. I'm happy to get them. It dribbles in, but I want to know the ones that were hits. I want to know, you know, that something special was accomplished. You know, and I think that's really important. And if you go back to musicians, painters, artists, Go to the Middle Ages. If you didn't have a sponsor, I didn't care if you were Mozart. I mean, how many Mozarts were walking around that didn't get funded by the prince? You know? I mean, you, you, you have to realize that it, it, it's it, it, as far as musicians go, it's hard work. It's accomplishing something great. And I, I also think uh, 90% of the business is luck. You're going to get in the right place at the right time when... Um, when the right song comes around, you know, and uh, I really do believe that. I mean, I think I covered a lot of territory here for something that probably didn't answer your question, but 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 I but I really I really do believe it. I believe the orchard accomplished something really unique and special, and still continues to do it. I I'm thankful to them um, and to Sony for our ability to continue experimenting and do things like this and, uh, and grow fresh ideas, maybe contribute to change and open people's minds mm-hmm. beyond the restrictions that were put on us as we were growing up. And again, I don't find that unnatural. The perceptions of society as my parents and grandparents had it were real for their moment in time. I could think that, my God, that was horrible. But to them, it wasn't as horrible. But we're in where we're in now. And what we have to do is deal with today. And will the music business change? Will anything change in any business? The answer is yes, everything will change. Nothing is going to be static. We haven't even begun to anticipate the changes that are going to come. Or I'm sure people have. But but the average person, not yet. They just take change as it comes. Everything will change.
1: But in order to continue to be successful as a company, you're going to have to anticipate those moves. And it sounds like part of a project like this is experimenting with different ideas. And, and because you have a large infrastructure in place, you're, you're able to kind of be nimble.
0: That's correct. And the message would be just experiment, keep going, keep yourself alive long enough uh, so you're in the game because it's like standing in the path of the wave. You're either going to get drowned or it's going to carry you to shore. Or just stay in the game so that wheel that comes around knocks you on the head. But do it with some imagination. I like to say, because that's how the archer was founded, one foot in the path and a big step into the future. You know, keep that stretch going because you cannot preserve the past. It's not there. And if you're a business person, anticipate the future, but continue to take advantage of what's real today.
1: I read an interview with you I think it might have been with the, the times talking about the orchard and it sounded like in the early days you were a little hesitant to enter the business side of things having been a music maker earlier.
0: I'm always uh, a little uh, anxious about entering the business side of things. I I'm I'm a businessman by virtue of my creativity. I've I've succeeded because creatively I've succeeded, but um, I I like um, it's sort, of like, it's sort of like good marriages and romances. I like the beginnings. You know, I like, I like to take artists that apparently to everyone else have no chance. But I, I think I could pull something out of it when I see it. I like, I like the beginnings of relationships. I like, uh, I like new ideas. And fortunately, I had a good partner, uh, Scott. Scott Cohen, who, uh, who now is into a whole other set of things. He, we're still together in the orchard. He does wonderful things by bringing in great labels. Um, but he's now, and we're both invested in it, into um, the concept of cyborgs, people having technology attached to them in a way that it changes their perception of
1: other things
0: and other senses. So, again, we're one step ahead, trying to stay ahead of the game.
1: Is that, is that cyborg thing related to the orchard at all? Or is that a oh, whole no, other, no. That's a whole, okay. <laughs> no, it's not related to the orchard. It's uh,
0: it's just interesting. I was just yeah. pointing out that <clears throat> even though we keep doing these things, uh, keep trying to stay one step yeah. ahead and interesting. And the project, we're, we're now going around, Allison and I, and we're hoping to speak at conferences and speak about gender in music and the changing values and the changing understandings of it and how that will affect um, how people view music in general
1: you said that part of your job is to really help not only cultivate these artists but but help them sort of build up business acumen and figure out how to get their ideas out there but due to the changing nature of the music industry even some of the larger artists that i speak to now have to have a little bit of everything they have to be their own social media manager a lot of them are booking their own tours do you find that when you're dealing with younger artists now that they're just generally by the time they get to you a little bit more savvy
2: I think what Richard always hounds to me, which it's it's easy to forget when we're in the the cloud of the digital age, is that it comes down to the song. The song mm-hmm. is like number one. The music is number one. If you don't have anything that anyone's going to want, you're just spinning your wheels.
1: But having a great song doesn't guarantee that it's going to get out oh, no, into the world. Oh no, of course.
2: But that's like the bare minimum. Assuming that you you have a great voice, voice meaning message, and and um and the song is great. I think you know kids are just savvy in general. I mean, anyone in their 20s has never not known the Internet. And I think that that's a really big difference in young people versus older people. But yeah, I mean, I think because we, we've managed artists as well and we, you know, we can only do so much as managers. Like, yes, you can have a booking agent and yes, you can help out with social media, but you can't make an artist an interesting person. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that's something we communicate to artists on the label that we manage is that it's like you television, me TV is what I call it. It's like, you know, people would have killed for this 20 years ago to have their own MTV channel. So do something interesting on YouTube and let's figure out what you're passionate about and build something around that. And I don't think you have to be on every single platform. Twitter has a different purpose than Snapchat. And they also have different audiences. But I definitely think it's it's like artists bitch and moan about it. I mean, they think of it as a second job. And so we work with them and we'll say, okay, let's make a week's worth of content in a day and I'll help you spread it out. Like, But it's just so necessary. I mean, if you're not alive on the internet, you're just sort of doing yourself a disservice. And you know, whenever, for me, I kind of as a as a voyeur of music, I always try to put in my head, what's the formula for what makes somebody so successful. And I tend to see that it's, really great music produced really well you have to be amazing live and you have to be interesting online if those three things are not met good luck maybe you'll eke out a middle of the road living but those three things seem to be what every star possesses at a bare minimum
0: remember um, there were fan clubs Mm -hmm. you know and there was somebody who would sit there and fold things for you and stuff today people communicate with each other directly so if you as an artist can't find time to communicate with your fans, you don't deserve to have them. It's really pretty simple. People do come to us with already experience in doing that, but sometimes artists just don't follow through, so you have to push them in that, and other artists actually do. You still need something special. You could tell people how great you are, but if you can't show them by actually doing it, then you'll get to a certain level But you'll never get to that glorious level that you want to reach with, quote, hits, whatever that is today. I'm not saying that I or we have the solution to any of this, you know, to how one does something. I just think you come up with an interesting concept. You come up with a great song. You sing it well. You then get it into distribution. You do the things that people expect today. And the other thing I learned but some promotion men won't agree with me is that you really can't sell people something they don't already want what it is they may not know they want it because they haven't heard it but nobody's going to be respond to your bullshit they're going to respond to what's real that you deliver it to them
1: getting back to the tech side of things i had this exact same conversation with bu student recently i was out in boston and we did a big event out there and i had a kid walk up to me a, a senior at bu and asked me how to launched a successful startup, and I told him, well, I'm probably you know, not the person to answer that question, but the best advice that I can give you, and I've seen this time and time again with different startups, is that you need to find a problem and that you need to, you need to solve that problem. Too many tech companies are technology in search of problems.
0: Are you filling a need? That's simple. Is there something unique about what you have to offer, and then can you put it in a way so that it reaches... That audience, whether you want to do a successful startup and sell it, if that's what you want to do, you have to recognize what they need and you have to be able to creatively put it together yeah. or what the general public needs. Yeah, of course. And I don't know that we do that um, uh, as, uh, okay, the Orchard recognized a need. What was the need? That there were millions of of underprivileged, deprived artists, deprived artists all around the world, that um, had no access to getting their music heard. Okay, uh, labels, independent labels that could get no attention. And when you say independent, you might mean the biggest label in Greece, Eastern Europe. I mean, these are things that so we recognize that need. We then set up a system to enable it. And then built the relationships to make uh, that content available and then followed through with additional fulfillments of needs like collecting, um, paying publishers, collecting uh, neighboring rights, uh, looking after sync placements and advertising placements, setting up divisions that do things that enhance the value of possibilities for our labels. So we at the Orchard, uh, we're able to recognize those needs and continue to do that. But that would be true of anyone starting anything. I think there's always room for growth and change, and I think you keep doing it.
1: Is it safe to say that we're not going to see another successful artist that doesn't have that kind of day-to-day engagement with their fans through social media? Is that an absolutely necessary element?
2: Well, there's levels of it. I mean, I think if you take someone like Adele, I don't, when I think Adele, I don't think her social media presence Mm -hmm. necessarily. I know for myself, if I go see an artist play and I like that artist, the first thing I do is go to follow that artist on social media. And if that artist is boring, you kind of just forget that they exist. There's too much other music. Whereas if someone has an engaging, personality and profile and it keeps showing up in front of your face, then it becomes a more personal relationship you have with that artist. So I think it's a completely missed opportunity if an artist doesn't take advantage of that. And I do think it's what sets an artist apart. I mean, when you think about Taylor Swift, I think about her personality. And that like comes across on her social media. It is so important. And as we know, there are social media stars that don't have any talent or bring anything to the table. So yeah, so I guess to answer your question, I think it is crucial at this point. You're just, it's too big of a pond. You're competing with too many other talented, amazing people. Let's hope you have something to share with the world.
1: The double-edged sword of digital media right now is it gives everybody the potential to have a voice, but then everybody has a voice, so it's a lot more difficult to be heard over everyone else.
2: And it is a little bit more survival of the fittest in a way. I mean, I think labels were gatekeepers for so long, and you only heard what was out, what was hawked to radios or what was out on CDs. Whereas now, if something is great, it's going to bubble to the top, and that could be someone self-releasing their music That's great with a really engaging social presence. And it does sort of it's almost like Darwinism in a way that that the good can bubble to the top and has a chance where it never had before. But it's not easy, you know, and we're here to offer advice for whomever we work with, even if it's someone who just one song with us. Call me in two years and ask us questions because we believe in artists and we know being an artist and being talented you're giving a big gift to the world and you're not necessarily also caring about business and and technology and what's changing but we do and so we can we try to just make it fun because if it's not coming from an artist's soul people can sense it
1: there you go that's richard godderer and allison Zaderan. they both work at the orchard of course richard is the founder of the orchard along with Cyrus and happens to have written some of the most iconic songs of the 20th century, but as was, I think, evidenced by that conversation, does not like to dwell on the past too much. Their project is called Instant Love. Uh, They talked about it quite a bit during that conversation, but essentially it it takes a track that was originally written and performed by a man and flips it on his head by having a woman do the part. A really interesting project. You can find it over at loveinstantlove.com. There are playlists on just about every music streaming service you could possibly subscribe to. There are about uh, 70 tracks right now. I highly recommend you check it out. Thanks so much to them. Thanks to Chloe for helping set that up. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, please consider supporting us over on Patreon. Like us on Facebook. You can rate us over on iTunes or music YouTube podcasts. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L related information. Our email address is riylcast at gmail.com if you've got any feedback or anything else. And I think that's about all I got for this week. So stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of R-I-Y-L.